Good evening. No idea what just happened there. That's kind of like my whole day's gone, so that's going to work good. So I'm not even kidding about that. But anyway, uh, good to see all of you tonight. I guess that was the under, I never used the light anyway, so I don't think anybody's going to be using it after that. So uh, I think I never need it. Good to see all of you. Um, Will, could you hand me that right there, the little clicker? Please, thank you. I appreciate it. You look so nice tonight, too. Doesn't Will look nice? There he goes. All right. Well, good evening, Wednesday evening to all of you. Uh, midweek study. Good to be back uh, together tonight and uh, getting into a, a brand new study. Uh, but before we do, before we get into this new study of the book of Joel, a couple of quick things. I wanted to say thank you uh, to all the men that came out. Some of you are in the room here. If you didn't come out last night, we'd love to have you next time we get together. And next time we get together is going to be a men's breakfast, uh, which is going to be in November. But we just had a great night uh, last night. Uh, of course, tacos are always good, uh, but we were studying the book of Revelation, which is um, just a powerful study that we are coming near the end of. Uh, but we were in chapter 18 last night, and Trevor, by faith, ordered enough food for 35 men. We don't normally have 35 men come out. Uh, it's a dream scenario of mine that we outgrow the, uh, and, and we've come close to outgrowing it, and then we kind of shrink back, and then we grow back up, and then we shrink back, and then we grow back up, and then we shrink back. Uh, but uh, never, I'm talking about in the study, not in the overall church, but at least that study, uh, but uh, that we end up having to be in this room here. Uh, that would be a good problem to have. But uh, we had a good group last night. It was a great, time, great discussion. I had to leave a little early because I had to spend uh, really all day today. We did an off-site, myself and uh, Zach. I saw him somewhere. Now he's gone. But uh, myself, Zach, and, uh, and Pastor Trevor on Monday and Tuesday and spent time going through a lot of things. And, um, and along those lines, I uh, just wanted to have you pray for Zach because he is, him and Lee are going to a wedding this weekend in South Carolina, and then uh, he's got to fly back to India next week and spend about four or five weeks in India, uh, and then he'll be back, uh, well, for good, but when we get into the new year, we'll talk about some of the things he'll be doing uh, as our third pastor, and, and missions is still going to be a big key part of what he does and will be doing, but uh, he'll be headed back for about four or five weeks, so keep Lee and the boys in prayer. They started a brand new school uh, this week, uh, right down the street, so, um, and uh, Zach will be there, and so we want to be praying for him uh, while he's there tying up some loose ends, and uh, we've got other things that we'll announce related to their family uh, and uh, related to the joining on to the staff um, coming New Year, but at least for this period, just be praying as he heads back there and gets those things done. And uh, also, again, obviously Lee here, uh, pregnant, and uh, so bring him back safely. And uh, I think that's it I have in the way of announcements. Uh, I don't know, mine aren't really announcements, they're just touch points, if you want to call them that. But uh, uh, we're going to get into the book of Joel. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me uh, to Joel chapter 1. You can find Ezekiel. A much bigger book. You can start to go to Daniel and then to Hosea and then to Joel. So it's a little easier to find if you can find uh, Ezekiel or Daniel. And go to the right. Much smaller book, three chapters. So we'll start with verse one. Jumping right into it tonight. We're not wasting any time. Uh, starting in verse 1, I'm just going to read verses 1 through 4. We are going to read all 20 verses of chapter 1 here tonight, but I want to read just the first four uh, to get us started this evening. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel, hear this, you elders, and give ear, all you inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days, or even in the days of your fathers? Tell your children about it. Let your children tell their children and their children another generation. What the chewing locust left and the swarming locust has eaten, what the swarming locust left and the crawling locust has eaten, and what the crawling locust left, the consuming locust 
has eaten. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful to be here tonight in the house of God. Lord, I'm grateful for each of my brothers and sisters that are here with me, those that are watching online. I'm grateful for this time that we have to open your word. Thank you for the worship, uh, for Mark and Christine leading that, Lord, and just to sing songs to you and just to clear our mind of other things and put you first. And Lord, we know that your word is forever settled in heaven, and we pray, Lord, that you would speak mightily through it. Uh, Lord, that uh, I would receive your help and your strength and your wisdom, the anointing of your spirit, Lord. You promise, Lord, that your word will be magnified whenever it is read. And Lord, we pray that uh, we would hear it with listening ears and soft hearts. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, by the way, you, you know I announced several weeks ago this study, and, and the, the start date tonight is 10-11, and the Lord laid on my heart uh, this specific book a couple months back, and then uh, I had announced that the second Wednesday in October uh, uh, we would start this series, and I believe as we go through this book, even tonight, as well as in subsequent weeks as we uh, go through these three chapters, uh, we're going to see why we're in the book of Joel. I believe we'll see why we're in the book of Joel. And what he's saying to us, and what he's saying to the nation, and what he's saying to the nations, what he's saying to the church, but the Lord uh, has personally given me, and I, and I don't know about you, I, I, I would think you would agree with me on this, the Lord has to give me a lot of confirmations on things because I'm just that thick-headed. It really helps me to get multiple verses, multiple people just kind of confirm. They don't know they're confirmed. They say something, I'm like, that's another one. Put it in the, put it in the list, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, but the Lord's given me very clear confirmations, uh, first for the book of Acts and, and then here for this much smaller study or much smaller book in the book of Joel. And my prayer is that we would be built up as we read this, that would be, we'd be, we would be encouraged, that we would be prepared in both of these studies, in the Acts study on Sunday as well as uh, the Joel study uh, that we'll be uh, going through, and just uh, that they would really apply, and, and they do apply to the days in which we live in. Amen? So uh, that's, uh, again, the Lord just confirming. Uh, but this book, Joel begins his message from the Lord with a proclamation and an observation in real time of what has taken place in the land, much like someone in real time is reporting what's going on in Israel right now, or reported in real time, like let's say after what went, uh, what happened on Saturday, with someone reporting, just kind of showing you the camera view of what taken place, what had taken place, and so Joel is doing that. He he is observing in real time what has happened in Israel, specifically the land of Judah, uh, as the priest, the altar, and the sacrifices are all mentioned, so we know that Judah is the place, because that's where the priests were, that's where the altar was, the sacrifices, that was not up in uh, the northern kingdom. But as Joel scans the land, if you will, he's seeing what the people of that time were seeing. They were seeing devastation. They were seeing destruction. They were seeing the elimination of all the crops, all the plants, all the vegetation. You think your yard looks bad, right? The swarming locusts had come in like a black cloud. What has taken place here was extraordinarily rare, if not unprecedented, at least in its severity. Perhaps before Israel ever entered the promised land, something like this happened, but, uh, but apparently not in their nation's history, not of this level. They had had locusts many other times, but not to this scale. And something this devastating, something this life-altering, something this dangerous, as the food supply is going to quickly disappear, is going to get everyone's attention. Wouldn't you agree? Everyone's attention. But today's young people, they might not think of farmers much, but if all of our plants died, they would find out who farmers were, right? 
One way or another, everyone's going to be impacted. And is now a little bit anxious or a lot anxious. And the prophet has been sent by God here to give commentary, to ask questions. It's a good way to kind of work with people is just to ask them things, right? To ask questions, to preach, to prophesy. Only things he can get from the Lord. You can't prophesy unless God's given it to him, but he's going to get those things. To give insights to the people, to inform them what has taken place is obviously some kind of response is needed. They're going to have to respond in some way. But it's not for them, it's not for the people to think smarter, to work harder, to put in double time and recover the land plan, to build back better and all the other things that we hear. Now it's time then, it was past time for them to humble themselves before the Lord. That's what God, that's what God was saying through all of this. That's what God was saying through this destruction. It was time for them to humble themselves before the Lord. If you're taking notes this evening, you see the title, A Devouring Judgment and a Sacred Call. A Devouring Judgment and a Sacred Call. Uh, some brief background on the prophet Joel and the time frame in which he lived. Uh, the name Joel, it's up on the screen. It means Yahweh is God. So you ever, if you ever have thought about, uh, well, that, anyone here could, so if you're young enough to have kids, you still have an option to do this. If not, you can influence grandkids. So uh, Joel means Yahweh is God, and the word Yahweh also means God, specifically uh, as it was revealed to Moses, it means Yahweh comes from the Hebrew word, I am. So when he said, I am, he was saying Yahweh to Moses. And you can see the fullness of Joel's name. You could say God is God, the I am is God, and even more specifically, the God of Israel is God. All of those would apply to the name of Joel. So Joel was given a, both a name and a ministry that would point people to God. His very name points people to God, but so does his ministry. Joel has been called by some scholars as the John the Baptist of the Old Testament. John the Baptist of the Old Testament. Both prophets had the ministry to preach and to call Israel to repent, albeit centuries apart from one another. Interestingly, the prophet Joel, he's not mentioned anywhere else in the Old Testament but by himself right here. Nowhere else in the Old Testament is this prophet, Joel, mentioned but by himself in his introduction. He is mentioned by name by Peter in the New Testament. Peter does mention him by name in Acts chapter 2 when he stands up on the day of Pentecost to preach. It is generally accepted that Joel was one of the earliest prophets among both the major and minor prophet writings. Perhaps only Obadiah prophesied earlier than Joel. He's considered one of the pre-exilic prophets, the pre-exile, alongside Obadiah, Jonah, Hosea, Amos, Isaiah, and Micah. There'll be a test later, so uh, just Obadiah, Jonah, Hosea, Amos, Isaiah, and Micah. There is no definitive date as to when this book was authored, but many scholars place it at 535 B.C., which is about 114 years before the fall of the northern kingdom, which was in 721 B.C., 249 years before the fall of the southern kingdom, which was in 586. And that would be like someone, uh, that'd be like uh, God giving someone a prophecy in 1776, the Declaration of Independence, like, God giving someone in 1776 a prophecy that America would fall in 2025, which would be 249 years later. That was not a prophecy, by the way. That was an example. So just so you know, I did not say, or YouTube, anyone out there, I did not say America was going to fall in 2025. I said, as an example, 
1776 to 2025 would be 249 years. I'm hoping to do weddings and other things like that in 2025. But if Jesus should come back before then or America collapses and then the rapture, I'm fine with that. Well, I'm not fine with the country collapsing. I'm simply fine with going home, with be with the Lord. But, but you get my point. It's not a prophecy, just an example. Back to verse 1 and verse 2. The word of the Lord came to Joel, or Joel, the son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders, and give ear, all you inhabitants of the land has anything like this happened in your days or even in the days of your fathers tell your children about it let your children tell their children and their children another generation uh, the six-year reign coming up to this point if it was if it was uh, for example 535 BC there was a six-year reign of ungodliness wickedness and terror under the queen mother uh, Athaliah and uh, her reign had just come to an end, and there was other ungodly kings in Israel before that, and idolatry and all kinds of uh, turning away from the Lord. So God had had great patience, as you've probably seen many times, in the times of the kings with the nation, and then at, then at times he just pours out judgment. It happened in the time of the judges as well. But they had certainly had many issues and turning away from the Lord and idolatry. And here... The word of the Lord comes to Joel after this great plague has already fallen. He's kind of picking up the news story after the hurricane, if you want to kind of look at it. Hurricane goes through, he's kind of reporting on the host, not a hurricane obviously, but these swarms of locust devastation. And the Lord has him speak to what has taken place, and he has him ask salient questions that cause the people, to, or the supposed to cause the people to think, and commentary that clarifies the gravity of Judah's plight and what God wants them to understand. There's things God wants you and I to understand. The question is, are we listening so we will understand? There's things he wants our country to understand. There's things I think you would agree, that's why we're in the book of Acts, he wants the church to understand. But are we going to understand? Now, we have to want to understand, right? See, I don't know about you, but I pray a lot. Lord, help me understand. Help me hear. Help me understand what you're saying. Is that a yes? Is that a no? Is that a go? Is that a stay? Is that a whatever it may be? But in verse 2, notice the perspective. He says, hear this, you elders, give ear. Has anything ever happened like this in your days, even your father's days. I believe, if you've sat under my teaching long enough, you probably have come to see this by now, but I believe that we should pay careful attention to unique calamities and tragedies. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, have you ever even seen anything like this? And should that not jog or do something uh, in your mind to say, hey, whoa, 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 this is rather unique. I wonder if God's trying to say something. I think we should take, pay very close attention to unique calamities and tragedies. What, what happens with unique tragedies and calamities, they're sudden, and they're jolting to everybody, and God allows them to stun us so often it's to soften us, right? Soften us. Tune our ears, if we're willing. Over the years, I, I've mentioned 9-11 many times. I believe it was in part how I ever... It just I already knew I was called to get into ministry, but it just kind of accelerated the timeline, if you will. But I've mentioned 9-11 many times. And Netanyahu, as you guys know, uh, on Saturday, in the Sabbath and Feast of Tabernacles attack, by Hamas, he called it Israel's 9-11. Just saying that, everyone knew what he meant, right? Didn't even, you don't even need to give a paragraph. Under, you just say, this is our 9-11. People have a vision of, okay, this must be big. This must be sudden. This must be out of the ordinary. This must be extraordinarily different. Because when you use those terms, people know what you mean. It, it has a connotation to it. Anyone can mention just those two numbers, 9-11. Not even a whole lot of words. And virtually anyone over a certain age knows exactly what you're referring to. And they have mental pictures immediately. 
of what you're talking about. You mentioned swarming locusts. Everybody at that time would know exactly what you're talking about. They would have a vision in their mind. It looked like a nuclear bomb went off, but it was locusts. Who knew locusts could do this? Well, we do know locusts can do this, but I'm saying if you've never seen it happen. But the prophet Joel, he could have asked America the same questions. And if you think about 9-11, really nothing like that ever has happened. Say Pearl Harbor. Well, there's a lot of differences. I don't have time to go into them. In its shock, in its scale, that it was watched live by millions as opposed to reported in a newspaper days later, or that day, next, next day later. The two of the most iconic buildings ever built in this country were reduced to rubble in less time than many people commuted to New York. I know people that commuted to New York took four hours. It was way less than that. In its revealing of how vulnerable our powerful nation was and still is, how vulnerable we are, as I say often, taken down by box cutters. Verse 3. Tell your children about it. Let your children tell their children. And their children another generation. As far as 9-11 goes, we still do tell our children. Tell our daughters. Tell your kids, even though our oldest was alive. But she was one, so there's no recollection whatsoever. But people that weren't there, they don't have the same connection. So even when you pass it from generation to generation, by the time you get a few generations, you get this. Nice story, Grandpa, right? They don't have any connection to it. I don't have the same connection to World War II, the veterans that are still alive. But but I love history enough that I try and understand the connection. I I go out of my way to understand things that are well beyond my time frame. Verse 4, what the chewing locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust has left, the crawling locust has eaten. What the crawling locust left, the consuming locust. This means that anything that one locust didn't get, the other one found it. Obviously. And there's also the stages of their larvae and all that. Other, I don't have time to get into all that. Now the calamity in Judah at this time, this, this judgment God had allowed, had a far greater impact on the nation as a whole than, let's say, 9-11, in, which was highly unique and I believe... God was allowing that to happen for a lot of reasons, but, but it had a lot more impact on many more people than 9-11 did. 9-11 mostly had impact on people in New York, some in Washington, D.C., the families that actually lost loved ones, and then hundreds of millions of the rest of us had no personal connection to it. We just had the horror of the scenes and all those other things, but virtually everyone in Israel was affected by this. It wasn't like I know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody who worked in Merrill Lynch or whatever else. No, everyone was affected by this. And virtually everything that had been growing is now gone. You know, you would find out how much we appreciate these green trees if one day you woke up and every single thing on them was gone. Everything. And not because of winter. I mean, the grass is gone. The bushes are gone. The fruit is gone. Flowers are gone. You, we would appreciate it a lot more if it was all gone, right? People from Texas come here and they already appreciate it like that. They say, we have people visiting. It's so green here. It's so nice, you know. But that, you know, I mean, Texas still has some green. I've been there lots. I used to report to an office in Dallas. I, it, believe it or not, there is green, greenery there, but not compared to Virginia. But the locusts, they came in waves and they wiped out the plants, they wiped out the flowers, they wiped out the crops, they wiped out the trees, the fruit, you name it. Now, a similar locust plague went through Syria and Israel in 1915. It was so thick it blocked out the sun. It made it look like it was dark. But not only was this event in Joel's time no doubt significantly more cataclysmic than the one in 1915. But Israel in 1915 was mostly desert. So the locusts didn't find a lot. <laughs> it was like, all right, this is not the best buffet we've ever found, right? You know, uh, there was, it's not, 1915, Israel was not restored at all. It didn't even come back into the land until 1948. So it was, if you 
get a chance to go to Israel with us, and uh, hopefully we'll still go in February, but we don't know. But uh, but it was mainly just swampland and desert and rocks, and so there wasn't near as much to eat. At the time of Joel, Israel was lush. I mean, incredibly lush. I mean, it, it was gorgeous. So the contrast from things being so lush, as it was in the time of Joel, it was a much more lush uh, Judean date palms and all the things that you would, that you would think that would be, uh, just look like a paradise. That's what it looked like at that time. So the contrast for going from that paradise of lush, it was the promised land for a reason. But it was the envy of the world in many respects. It was incredibly lush, and for everything to be consumed would be beyond drastic contrast. To go from the Mojave Desert to slightly worse is not a big contrast, but to go from something that's a tropical paradise to something that looks like the Mojave Desert is quite the contrast. Verse 5, Awake, you drunkards. Different. We haven't read this passage yet, so let's move forward. Awake, you drunkards. Weep and wail, all you drinkers of wine, because of the new wine, for it has been cut off from your mouth. The prophet here, he begins to speak to specific audiences. The first, uh, and I don't know why, but if he first addresses the drunkards. Of all the people he could address, this is who he addresses first. This is who the Holy Spirit tells him to address first. So it's not like he just made this up. <laughs> so this is where uh, the Lord has him start. Uh, he begins to speak to these specific audiences. He starts with the party crowd. That's the way I kind of look at it. He starts with the party crowd. We have a party crowd in this country. It's a growing crowd because less and less people want to work and more and more people want to party and do nothing, and that's why we have more and more people addicted to drugs out on the streets. It's not all because they lost their job. I mean, there are very sad situations. We care about those, uh, but you don't have exponential increases uh, outside the norm. You then What you see is patterns of behavior are changing, and when patterns of behavior change, you have massive wholesale scale change. And that's what we're seeing, more and more people. Yes, there's people out there with PTSD. Yes, there is veterans that came back. I, I have empathy and compassion. I'm sure you do too, but that's not the entire story. God never beats around the bush. He calls them drunkards here, doesn't he? And I'm not saying that with any kind of uh, malice. He, he simply says, this is the party crowd, those that have been living for pleasure... Can you imagine all the alcohol gone in our country? Not voluntarily gone. All of a sudden, it's just gone. He said, it's cut off from your mouth. That's what God says. He goes, I cut it off. Cut off from your mouth. And if alcohol was and is your go-to to handling stress and the strains of life, or maybe it's just how you find pleasure in life, and, and, and I know people both. I, I've had people in my family that... that Years ago, they got into drinking just to party, but later, they needed it just to kind of cope. You had, you've had people in your life like that. I've had people die in my family because of alcohol. You've had people, I'm sure you know, that have died because of an addiction to alcohol. So it, it, what was fun at 16 becomes necessary just to function for someone who's 36, 20 years later. So, But if alcohol is your go-to for handling these things or pleasure, it may seem... It may seem out of the realm in our country where we have ABC stores all over the place. We have, uh, you know, all kinds of alcohol. I mean, uh, the alcohol aisle is as long as the bread aisle in most grocery stores, right? So we've got, you know, all, we've got a plethora of options. So it may seem out of the realm that God could just dry up the alcohol supply at one time, but guess what? He still can. He still could. I'm not saying that having a glass of wine is a sin if you... That's not what we're here to talk about. We're talking the drunkards, to be not drunk with wine, whereas in excess, the scriptures talk about this. Remember, during the height of the pandemic, the ABC stores were still open. Uh, they, were, they were considered a necessity, if you recall. I, churches needed to shut down, and ABC stores needed to stay open. Uh, I'm like, what's wrong with this picture? We have the spirit or the spirits. The ABC stores were open, and people stocked up, and they did great business. I remember seeing people roll in there right and left. 
I bartended my way through college. I have a lot of experience with alcohol in my pre-Christ days. But what if the entire supply was gone? What would people have done? And some people, that's how they coped, how they got through. I'm not saying I've ever felt like joining them every now and then. I have had rough days. But maybe you know, then the Lord says, snap out of it, right? You know, uh, I have not touched any of that stuff in years. But I'm, my point is, I understand. We have stresses and strains as believers. We understand why people turn to things, but we turn back to the Lord again and again and again and again and again and again and again. But what if the whole supply was gone? What would people do? What would, what would many in our country do? Well, the drunkards in Israel, it was definitely going to be, it was an eye-opener for them that there was no wine. Thanks to locusts, <laughs> there's no grapes. and there's no, there's no barley to make hops. Everything is gone so that it dried up rather quickly. And in their sorrow, they probably downed it extra fast. There's none. Verse 6 and 7, uh, for a nation has come up against my land, strong and without number. His teeth are the teeth of a lion. He has the fangs of a fierce lion. He has laid waste my vine and ruined my fig tree and has stripped it bare and thrown it away. Its branches are made white. They even ate the bark off the trees. <laughs> That's what it means. And the bark's gone. Joel compares the swarming locust as a nation, that the, the locusts themselves, he compares them like a, a nation of insects, obviously, but uh, as a nation by God coming up against his land. God's letting them come up against his land because he could have stopped this. But coming up against his land, and he compares the hordes of locusts to the fierce capabilities of a lion. Now, my wife could have told you that eventually I would find a way to get my love for lions into a message, and tonight is the night. Tonight is the night. I've been waiting for years for this passage to show up. There's other passages, but they're and not in the studies that I'm in currently, so this was just well-timed, and now my wife, if she, if she would tell you, she'd say, I knew he'd get it in there eventually. I knew it. Just to, but I had to because the, the imagery that, that, that the prophet uses, obviously, uh, when God speaks through uh, the writers of Scripture, he always let them use their personalities but move by the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? So Peter was still acting like Peter and Paul was still had Paul's uh, personality and Joel. And so if Joel had a great, like kind of if he had looked out numerous times and, and, and studied kind of lions and said, there's no beasts like them, then as the Holy Spirit gives them, you know, he, it's a combination of the Spirit giving him, but also his appreciation, or at least understanding. And we don't live in a land that actually has these beasts, but they did. They, they roamed Israel during that time. David had to battle them when it came to his flocks and things like that. But, the, but a lion, their strength, uh, it says that uh, their fangs, their teeth, the fangs of a fierce lion, their, their teeth their fangs, male lions are on average being 400 and 550 pounds. 60% of their weight is muscle, this, uh, which is in, there's only them and tigers have about that. Uh, some of the other big cats have that kind of uh, weight, uh, have that kind of muscle ratio. Uh, they're armed with two to three inch canines, uh, so they just sink right down in. Two to three inch canines, uh, their jaws produce 1,000 pounds per square inch, and they can generate a paw swipe of 1,400 pounds. 1,400 pounds, that's like the offensive line working together with one paw swipe. It's a lot of, that's a lot of strength. It's like a bunch of 300-pound dudes at one time, and they can generate that kind of power with one paw swipe. The imagery is that type of ferocity. The reason why the, the prophet's using this uh, and, uh, picture here, the imagery is that type of ferocity was unleashed on the plants. Because normally lions don't even eat plants. They only eat other animals. So they unleash that strength and that ferocity on animals. But, but the imagery here is that that kind of um, just devouring was unleashed on all of the vegetation, all of the plants, all the trees. 
But the other image, so there's another image here too. Some of you may have seen it, may, may have noticed it here in the text. The other image is a foreshadow because you have a dual picture here. You have what actually happened with the locust, but you have what's coming with a real army. So you have the foreshadow. The other image is a foreshadow of a coming army who has lion-hearted warriors that will be coming up against the exact same land of Judah. And that is going to continue, if you understand prophecy, it repeats until it reaches final crescendo all the way to the Battle of Armageddon. The same armies will come again and again and again. But this particular army, which is going to come, the first and the most important related to the imagery here, will be in 586, and that will be the nation of Babylon, led by Nebuchadnezzar. And if you have ever kind of studied it, or you've watched a documentary, or if you've seen pictures in the back of the Bible, or whatever it may be. The symbol of Babylon, with their many structures, it was on their gates, and their palaces, and their artistic renderings, and the, the statues were either lions or winged lions. Lions and winged lions. They were fascinated and felt themselves as lions going into battle. They felt that they had that kind of ferocity. They wanted to be like that. They wanted to overrun their enemies with that kind of power and strength and agility. Interestingly, Judah is also the lion tribe. And you probably know that as well. Jesus called the lion of the tribe of Judah. So it's interesting that this Babylon will come against and they have the symbol of a lion against Judah who is also a lion. Me and my eight million documentaries I've watched, the most dangerous enemy to lions is other lions. Lions are quite territorial, and they kill each other. But here's the thing. If the lion of the tribe of Judah is not your defense, and Israel defenses were down because they were not serving the Lord at this time, that's why the prophet's calling them back. If the lion of the tribe of Judah is not your defense then the one who seeks as a roaring lion to destroy you, you are a sitting target. True? And this works on a nation, nation scale as well as individual people. And so for you and I, uh, we need to be close to Jesus because he is our defense. Satan's also, uh, he, now he's no match for uh, Jesus, obviously. It's like when you see the movie Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan finally comes to life. There's no stopping him, right? He's marauding across, and Jesus will come day, throw Satan into the lake of fire and all of that stuff. But Israel, they needed God as a defense, but their defenses were down, and so the land was vulnerable. The land was vulnerable to locusts, and it would eventually be vulnerable. And then remember, if, if the 835 B.C. is right, this is still 249 years away. So there's a whole bunch of time for people to say, that'll never happen. that sound familiar? I know people don't really say that verbally here, but that's the way our country's living. Oh, God, you know, he'll never really judge us. We got, we got, we got the Pentagon. We got, we got more missiles than Russia and China combined. We, we, got, we got the NSA. And you know, Hamas is like, you didn't even know what we were about to do. We used pencils and paper. I don't know what they did. If we did know, that's a whole, whole other problem. Don't have time to get into that. But anyway. But notice it's the Lord's vine. He says that he has laid waste, verse 7, he has laid waste to my vine and ruined my fig tree and stripped it away. And its branches are made white. It's the Lord's vine. It's his fig tree. But he allows it to be severely ruined for a reason. He allows it to be severely ruined for a reason. And it's to get people's attention. They would realize that, hey, God did put us in this land. Yeah, moms used to say, I brought you into this world. I can take you out, right? 
Some moms still say it. Not, many as, not as many. When I was a kid, it was pretty normal to hear uh, in the 70s. I must have heard it like once a week. Uh, but now I hardly ever hear it because suburban moms don't talk that way. It's like, Mama, you got this and all this other stuff, uh, Twitter type, or uh, Instagram type language or whatever else. But, but uh, it used to be that way. You know, I brought you into this world. I can take you out of this world. And God's like, I brought you into the promised land. I can take you out of the promised land. And that is what he's uh, allowing them to see is, hey, uh, this is his land. And he, if he would let that be done, to, we probably should wake up here. This is a massive, massive wake-up call. Now, the other thing, uh, as you might have seen, he calls it my fig tree. That might sound familiar to you as well. Because Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24 in the Olivet Discourse, speaking of the very end times that we are not only in, but approaching the end of the end of the end, and we don't know how far that out, out that is, five years, 50 years, somewhere in between, somewhere beyond, I don't know. But he says, now learn this parable from the fig tree when its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaf. You know summer is near. Uh, Israel was the fig tree, specifically Judah near Jerusalem, and, and this is and Jesus speaking from the Mount of Olives, same place, in the same proximity, same fig tree. We know Israel was replanted in the land, becomes, re-becomes a sovereign nation. Obviously, God had held them together as a people group uh, against all the odds uh, for a couple thousand years. But they were put back in the land in 1948. The fig tree of Israel as a nation, right now, tonight, is not being attacked by locusts, but by terrorists. Tonight, while we're sitting here, they are being attacked. The fig tree, the leaves are being ripped off in a different way by vicious rapists and murderers and just savagery. Men that have no more conscience than a lion or a wild predator that has blood on their face on a regular basis. And that said, though, those are still souls we're to, we're to pray for. Jesus said, even pray for your enemies. So I, I, I do pray for persecutors. Paul was one. But the reality is anyone without Jesus can do the work of demons. Amen? Anyone without Jesus can do the work of demons. If I didn't have Jesus, I could do the work of demons. If you didn't have Jesus, you could do the work of demons. And before we were saved, we did. Maybe not with the same violence, but other ways. Verses 8 through 10. Lament like a virgin girded with sackcloth. For, uh, for husband of her youth, the grain offering and the drink offering have been cut off from the house of the Lord, the priests mourn, the minister, the priests, plural, the priests mourn who minister to the Lord. The, the field is wasted, the land mourns, for the grain is ruined, the new wine is dried up, the oil fails. In verses 8 through 10, it's the first mention of the priests. Uh, obviously, they served in the temple. The destruction throughout the land means that uh, the oils that are used in the temple services, the grains that are used in the grain offerings. Of course, you need vegetation for the animals to be fed. All this, everything, it's all related. Uh, the, all the temple services are going to be cut off because if there's no vegetation, there's no oils, then the temple service is going to eventually, it may not happen immediately, but it's going to screech to a halt at some point. The supply chain will dry up. And for God to allow his own priestly service to be halted, this is another wake-up call. For God to allow his own house to shut down, his temple, obviously the temple's still there at this time, but I mean the services that the priests would normally do, they wouldn't be able to do if there was no oils, there was no grains, there was no incense. Well, that caused the priests to weep. Because this was their job, and they, and they realized this is serious, that God would even allow it to come to this. There's things I see sometimes that God allows to come into the church that all makes, make me want to weep. And I'm like, How, if God's allowing this, what is this telling us? You ever have that thought? Like, this should be a wake-up call to us. But they're, they're just literally saying, what is happening? The priests don't have an answer. What is God? And God sends Joel to be the voice because the priests themselves have become rather lukewarm themselves. Joel is there to speak to even the priest. 
verse 11 and 12, uh, be ashamed, you farmers. Remember, so drunkards were audience one, priests are audience two, farmers are audience three. So he addresses drunkards, the party crowd, priests, the religious, the men tasked with the religious duties, and then the farmers, the ones tasked with feeding the nation. The partiers... They just kind of enjoy what the farmers give and what the priests put together. So, but they get the first, uh, but here we've got the third. Uh, but you be ashamed, you farmers, wail, you vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field has perished. The vine has dried up, the fig tree has withered, the pomegranate tree, the palm tree also, the apple tree, and the trees of the field are withered. Surely joy has withered away from the sons of men." Uh, the farmers, uh, ashamed, uh, uh, kind of the way, just think they're bewildered. They don't know. I mean, normally farmers ha- know what to do in all different situations. All right, this doesn't work. We'll try this. This doesn't work. We try this. Uh, well, okay, we know that, but there was nothing they could try. The destruction throughout the land, um, the crops, everything devastated. You can see he gets prescriptive about the different kinds of things, the figs, the palms, the apple, and all the trees in the field. It's all gone. Can you imagine if, if God allowed all these things to happen, the breadbasket of our nation? We've been very, very fortunate to, you know, we had dust bowls back in the 20s or different things like that. We've been very fortunate that when one area is having kind of a calamity. Another area is still doing pretty good. And so we kind of shift production. This area is not doing, oh, Texas is under a heat wave and nothing's growing. Uh, thousands of cattle were hit by lightning this, this summer and stuff like that. Well, we'll just do more in Iowa or whatever else. And, but we've never had a time where everything failed all at the same time. And it's not because we're better or we've got a better plan. It's because of the grace of God. Amen? Because he certainly could have allowed it. Israel was the apple of his eye. Verse 13 and 14, gird yourselves. Uh, now this, this is a turn in the chapter, and we're coming to, down the home stretch here, so give me just a few more minutes and we'll wrap it up. But gird yourselves and lament, you priest. goes back to the priest here, because uh, they have a very key role in bringing the people back to the Lord. Joel is the, Joel is the one that is actually used by God to be the lightning rod of truth, but the priest... They study the word all the time. This should resonate with them, and they should be the one to say, yes, everything he's saying is right. Gird yourselves and lament, you priests. Well, you who minister before the altar, come lie all night in sackcloth. You who minister to my God. The grain offering and the drink offering are withheld from the house of God. Consecrate a fast and call a sacred assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord, your God, and cry out to the Lord. This call to lament and turn to the Lord, it's directed to the priesthood, it's directed to the, uh, those that are to be leading the people to the Lord on a regular basis, that they're to fast and pray. Now, fasting is going to be a lot easier because there's a lot... Everyone's going to get a fast in on this one because <laughs> it's like uh, there is no food. <laughs> so there's the first time everyone's like, I think I'm going to join the fast, you know, because uh, normally people are like, I, I, I'd like to do it, but I just can't pull it off. So uh, I'm going to have a little snack or, you know, or something like that. But it, the food is pretty much gone. So God's like, yeah, but he wanted them to be intentional about put it on sackcloth and lying there all night. Um, I've talked to other pastors and said, you know, wonder, because I, I don't know that I've ever seen this kind of, like, urgency. I've talked to several other pastors. I, I don't ever see a time where we've all just laid on the altar before the Lord, like, all night and wept and mourned for sin and things like that. But that's what they're called to do. This is what Joel told them they had to do. Uh, as a matter of fact, if he called a bunch of us as pastors around the country to do that, uh, would we even do it? You know, uh, would, we, would, we, would we respond in that way? Um, I, I want to hope that at least the, those of us that 
you know, trying to walk with the Lord would do it, but, um, but what, a, what a statement here. If there is a way out of this whole thing, it's going to be by getting really low before the Lord, right? That's, that's the point. There is a way out of this, but it's only to get really low before the Lord. And, and God had to bring the people really low that this would even see. But as soon as everything is gone, uh, you know, you've seen people that normally would be very, very discreet. But when they lose a child, they can wail publicly at a funeral that you've never heard them make a peep. Because it changes the dynamics. And so uh, they're called to weep and lament and call a, call a fast. Uh, if there is even a little bit of food left, hold off at least. You know, then they may, some of you might have had a little bit left in a jar. Don't eat it. Let's get together. Sacred assembly. Um, the Lord's put a date on my mind. I, I'm going to call a fast and sacred assembly just so you, you're forewarned. We've got one coming. And uh, I think it'll be a, a blessing. Uh, we're not going to lay all night or anything like that. That I'm, I didn't call, but just a sacred assembly that we just call, and we have a prayer night coming up in November that I want to do this. Uh, but um, it says in Hosea chapter six, verse one. Did I have it up there? Yeah, there it is. Not my glasses on. You guys can help me. Did I have it up there? Yes, I do. I see it. All right. It says, come and let us return, Lord, for he has torn, but he will heal. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. Isn't that great to know that, you know, when God does call us to humble ourselves, that's why we get on our knees every Sunday, uh, that he's the one that's going to heal us. He's the one that's going to bind us. He, he loves humility. He loves a contrite heart. He loves surrender. Uh, as my uh, good friend Scott Brown, uh, Messianic pastor in New Zealand now, uh, told me, and I, and I needed to hear it when he told me that first time, he said, God is attracted to weakness. God is attracted. He is not attracted to strength. He is strength. That doesn't mean anything to him. He is attracted to weakness. Why Paul later would say his strength is made perfect in weakness. God is attracted to weakness. In a country that says, we're strong, we know it all, we can do it all, God's like, that's pride. After 9-11, we should never slap bumper stickers as the power of pride. We should have put the power of humility. That would have been the right bumper sticker. But I remember all over, I was in Charlotte, power of pride, power of pride, power of pride, little flag, power of pride. Now we have pride is a whole different word in 2023. we got a whole month for it now. So we've come a long way and the wrong way. Verses 15 through 21, to bring this to a close, alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand, it shall come as destruction from the Almighty, is not the food cut off before our eyes, joying gladness from the house of our God. The seed shrivels under the clods, storehouses are in shambles, barns are broken down, the grain has withered, how the animals groan, the herds of cattle are restless because they have no pasture, even the flocks of sheep suffer punishment. Thanks to people, right? So the animals suffer because of the hard hearts of people. Oh, Lord, to you I cry out. For fire has devoured the open pastures, and a flame has burned all the trees of the field. The beasts of the field also cry out to you, for the water brooks are dried up, and fire has devoured the open pastures. So these last, uh, these last six verses or so, um, there's a reference to the day of the Lord now, this speaks to the day of the Lord is going to bring judgment, and it's going to bring God exalted and man lowered, and everyone will be humbled. Uh, the, the lost will be humbled, humbled under the feet of Jesus. Those of us who are already humbled ourselves in salvation, we're quite happy to be at the feet of Jesus. We're not under his feet, but we're definitely worshiping at his feet. And so we're quite content to worship at his feet, but everyone else will be trampled under his feet in the day of the Lord. And so this is one of those judgments, but it portends to the future day of the Lord. So already here, just like we saw the uh, allusion to the coming uh, armies of Babylon, here we have also pointing towards the final day of the Lord, which is also in the book of Joel as we go further, as we get into chapter 2 and chapter 3. Uh, this is going to become more clear, but the day of the Lord is coming. It shall come as destruction from the Almighty and, and, and the ultimate day of the Lord at the end of the book of Revelation where everything will be 
destroyed, and there will be no joy uh, in the world at that time. And, uh, but here at this time, joy and gladness had left the house of God. Obviously, the priests were mourning. The people were, uh, were very distraught. And now drought has set in. So what started with the locusts, when it says the clods, the barns are broken down, uh, what started with, as soon as you have, you know how, uh, as soon as the, the plants are gone, then soil erosion starts to happen. And then when soil erosion starts, you know, places that are desert today, it it's at one point used to be uh, lush areas. And so drought begins to set in. Israel is very dependent upon rain. They only have one it's not even a Jordan River. It's not even a major river. It is a river, but it's not. If those of you've been there, it's quite small, and it's much smaller, like the James River. And so, uh, and they didn't have the same drip irrigation that Israel uh, invented in our lifetime, which is which is quite amazing, and everyone uses it uh, all over the world now. But that didn't exist at the time. So they were quite dependent upon rain. So when God allowed the locusts to come. Shortly after, he withheld the rains, and so now everything is drying up. And even the little bit of things that still were sparse, lightning starts fires, and it was all burned up. And so everything's gone. So they got locust, dryness, fire, uh, all of these things. Um, but with all this in verse 19, it, it, it is the right response. Oh, Lord... To you I cry out. This is all you can do. You know, even when you, even if you come to your senses way late, it's better to come to your senses way late than never come to your senses at all. Amen. And uh, and that's what we pray for prodigals and people that are far off and say, well, even if it takes until they're 60 or 65 or 75 or 22 or whatever it may be, however they old they're, at least if someone gets to the point where they say, oh Lord. If they're still alive, they can still say, oh, Lord. Amen? That, that opportunity is there to cry out. And because and, and it, it says, oh, Lord, I cry out to you, for fire has opened. The, the connotation here is that the crying out to the Lord is noticing that if you've allowed all this to happen, instead of shaking my fist at you, which they will in the book of Revelation near the end, instead of shaking their fist at God, they cry out to God. And say, Lord, look at all this is in shambles. We cry out to you. And so that's the best you can possibly do. It's just to cry out to the Lord. You know? So don't try and understand, well, we should have Now, it is good to understand that, hey, our sin brought these conditions on. Uh, but his mercy is there. You know, Jesus said uh, that the things, the calamities, would go back to the very beginning, that the extraordinary, unique things should kind of uh, wake us up to say, wow, hold on. Could it be that God is trying to say something? You know, Jesus made it really clear uh, that what Joel is talking about when he says, have you ever seen anything like this in your lifetime at the very beginning, that that should cause you to think, I wonder if God is speaking to us through this. And he is speaking. You know, So um, Jesus made it clear that any kind of calamity, any kind of thing that brings about death should remind people of the fragility of their own soul. And I'm saved, and most of you, if not all of you in here are saved, and I believe that, as my brothers and sisters in Christ, you're already saved, and these things remind you of the fragility of your own body, at least, and uh, the fact that uh, you know we, we have an appointment someday, and that, we talked about this past Sunday, that alone does a purifying work because we know we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And so even if you're saved, the fragility of your own life is a regular wake-up call. Does that make sense? But then when you see something extraordinary, like you, you picture yourself, at least I do, what would I do if I was in southern Israel when that happened? What would my response have been? What, Lord, how would, where would my spirit be? Would my faith be strong? You know, what, what would... What would the scene look like, um, but for many people, will they get angry at God or will they turn to God? Because Jesus had this to say in Luke chapter, I put it up on the screen, Luke chapter 1, um, he said there were uh, present at that season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifice, and Jesus answered and said to them, do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners? than other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you no, but unless you repent, which is the same message, 
that Joel was giving. Unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Or those 18 of whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed. He's talking about a unique thing that happened. Towers didn't just normally just fall out of nowhere on top of people. Do you think that they were worse sinners than all the other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you no. But unless you repent, you will likewise perish. And so Jesus is underscoring the same ministry of the prophets is that when you see calamities, it should remind you if you're not living in a right relationship with God, you better repent because the next calamity could claim you. That's what he was saying. He wasn't mincing words. And it wasn't because Jesus didn't love people. It was because he did love people. He knew that if they did not come to the realization that they too eventually were going to, whether it was old age or a tower falling on them, your soul is eventually going to give an answer to the Lord. And so uh, this was God allowing these things to wake up his own nation. And my prayer for us as we read these things and as we go through this book, uh, if you're awake, you get more awake. If you are alert, you become more alert. Uh, if you are humble, you become more humble. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you again for your word. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us. Uh, Lord, that uh, you would give us uh, your heart in these matters. Uh, Lord, give us, give us um, a compassion for those that uh, don't know you and, and are not ready for anything that could happen. Lord, we, we could see things as we've seen recently, uh, many uh, dominoes fall. We could see many things come into place uh, that, that could shake people to the core. But we pray, Lord, uh, that we would be like the prophet Joel, Lord, that we would be standing with you. And if those things come, we would be able to help people understand and help them turn to the God of salvation. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.